0: Welcome to the College Financial Aid and Career Navigation Podcast. Tom and Maria Geffers of Career and College Counselors, along with nationally recognized college financial aid expert, Seth Green, teach two things, how to cut the cost of college tuition an average of $19,077 per child per year, and how to land your dream job after you graduate by choosing the right career and major. To get access to more information on how you can make the right choice, simply register at www.careercollegecounselors.com slash connect. To find out how to save an average of $19,077 per year per child on college tuition, go to www.howtofindmoneyforcollege.com. On the podcast, Tom, Maria, and Seth bring together leading experts in their fields who have experience in the college admission and career application process. They share their secrets so you can do it too. And now, here's your hosts, Tom, Maria, and Seth.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Maria Geffers.
0: And I'm Tom Geffers.
1: And we're from Career and College Counselors.
2: And uh, the purpose of our podcast here today, as uh, they are for all of our podcasts, is to have a resource out there for the parents and students across the country of uh, subjects that uh, might be of interest to them. So that's the goal and hopefully we reach that goal. I'm sure we'll do that today.
1: Right, we have Dana Roth of uh, Dana Roth Educational Counseling. And I always say this, I'm so excited. And we were just talking off camera how Tom and I are learning as each podcast we do we're, we're talking with experts and we're learning so much from our people and it's just it is exciting it's the best the best way of educating absolutely so thank you so much uh, Dana for being here with us and your question will be can students with learning disabilities succeed in college that's the overriding because I know parents who have students that have learning disabilities. That's always in the back of their mind. So we always start off our podcast with, tell us who you are, what you do, and your aha moment.
3: Great, um, well, thank you so much, Maria and Tom, for having me today. I really appreciate the chance to speak with you all. Um, so like you said, my name is Dana Roth of Dana Roth Educational Consulting, um, and I am based in Massachusetts. Um, Prior to launching my practice, I worked in colleges and universities for 13 years. I started in undergraduate admissions. Um, I then went on to pursue my graduate program at the University of Pennsylvania, where I worked in their Learning Resources Center um, and later in other academic support settings. I also then made the switch to disability services in a college setting. Um, and so I have seen a lot of different sides of student success and student struggle um, at the higher ed level, which has been really, really um, illuminating for me, which has been great. I, um, I always knew that eventually I wanted to start my own practice. Um, I am one of those weird people that um, when I graduated from college, I had a 10-year plan, um, and I referenced my 10-year plan in my admission interview um, at Babson College, where I then worked for a couple of years. Um, and my 10-year plan was that I would work in higher ed for X number of years, and later launch a practice in college counseling, speciali- um, excuse me, specializing in working with students with learning disabilities and differences. Um, And I I joke that I'm a little bit behind the timeline that I had set for my 10-year plan. It should have been a 15-year plan. But besides that, I'm really excited that I am in that process now and working with students um, in college counseling and also with students in executive function coaching. So um, working with students really to support them becoming more um, self-empowered learners. And I work on the college side with students typically in grades 11 and 12, sometimes in grade 10. Um, And then for coaching, I work with students starting um, in grade six and going through college as well. So I'm able to really see a wide range of students who I'm able to work with.
1: Great.
2: Well, uh, you know, the college admissions process is very very daunting for just about everybody in, in that journey. Uh, What are some of the strategies that you use when working with students and parents that have uh, special needs?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. I think that so many students with and without um, learning disabilities and other disabilities really struggle to see where the smaller components are of the college search and application process. So the biggest thing that I often do with students with and without different diagnoses is really working to break things down into more manageable concrete pieces. Because I think that once you get a sense of the discrete components of the college search and application and decision-making processes, you can really be much more in control. Um, And it also helps in general to help everyone minimize their overwhelm when they have bite-sized pieces rather than this very all-consuming nebulous I wanna look for colleges. Um, it, it's hard to know where to start. So a big piece is really identifying those smaller components, setting up specific timelines, working with students and families to provide them with the right amount of information and the resources that they need in order to tackle each stage of the process um, in a timely manner.
2: Now, I know there are you know uh, certain colleges that uh, work with special needs probably more than uh, other colleges, just like they do with homeschool students, sometimes as a counselor specifically for homeschool students. Are there colleges uh, that you uh, are aware of that you kind of recommend that might make it a little easier for the transition?
3: great question. There are colleges that specialize in working with students with learning disabilities. Um, Landmark College is one that that always stands out to me because they're always on the cutting edge of of supporting students with different challenges and different um, abilities. Um, I often am focused more broadly on the types of services that students can receive in college rather than focusing specifically on the the individual colleges that are geared toward folks with um, a learning disability or difference.
2: Okay now on your on your website and you mentioned earlier the uh, executive function and you have seven executive function skills that are important for students. Can you touch on those and explain how that works?
3: Sure, so executive function is always, um, it's obviously a very hot topic right now. We know um, so many schools are now incorporating it into their work as well, which is wonderful for students. And I think what can be really tricky is that depending on who you ask, you get a different number of executive functions. Um, And so I tend to, rather than going with seven, I tend to use the framework from Thomas Brown, um, who is a really significant researcher um, and practitioner in executive function. Um, And so he defines it with six specific functions, Um, activation, so starting a task, focus, which would be um, shifting your attention to different tasks um, in a flexible manner, sustaining your attention. Um, The third one he includes is effort, which has to do with regulating one's alertness um, and sustaining effort. Sustaining becomes a big theme for EF. Um, Emotion is the fourth in terms of self-regulating one's emotion and managing one's emotions, which can be really challenging um, for many of us with and without EF challenges um, memory. So in particular, drawing on our working memory for various tasks, because that's really, really challenging for folks with executive function challenges, um, and then action. So really that's self-monitoring, self-regulating how we're interacting with the world.
1: If we're missing any of those, uh, executive functions, does that necessarily mean that we have a learning disability? Is that kind of like go hand in hand or...
3: It's a great question. So oftentimes we see with EF that um, there's a pretty strong correlation when many of those are challenging for someone, that there might be um, a diagnosis of an attentional related um, disorder like ADHD. Um, But it's not, if you have, if you have difficulty with your working memory, you don't automatically have difficulty um, and a disability that might be diagnosed. Sometimes though, they can, oftentimes they can go hand in hand. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: You you mentioned the word modifications earlier. Um, Do colleges give any modifications for special needs students like they do in high school?
3: That's a great question. So typically um, students are able to receive academic accommodations, um, but not modifications in a college setting. And this is something that I think oftentimes can be um, challenging to understand for parents and and students who have had a wide range of support in their k-12 setting so a big underlying piece of this is that there are different laws that govern k-12 versus um, post-secondary so what we think of as a traditional college or university or technical college setting so for A very brief overview, Um, IDEA, which is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, and Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act specifically relate to what we would think of as an IEP in K-12. And those laws work to provide success, which is a really important term. So that means that having accommodations like extended time or reduced distraction testing might be really prevalent, but it also might mean that a student doesn't have to complete all of their assignments in order to successfully complete a class. Or a student, if they're given a multiple choice test, might have have three choices to choose from instead of five choices to choose from like a student without a diagnosis. Um, That's seen as reasonable in a K to 12 setting because you're working towards success. A big shift in college is that Colleges and universities operate under the ADAAA, which is very cleverly named um, Americans with Disabilities Act Amendments Act of 2008, and then also Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act, just like K-12. But the ADAAA actually says that students are assured access to education, which means that they should have accessible learning environments, They should have ramps in order to maneuver a physical space. Um, They should have extended time, not should, but students who qualify are eligible to receive accommodations like extended time or access to technology or um, reduced distraction testing or braille if a student is is, um, blind, for example. Um, But having those modifications, like I mentioned before, would not be seen as reasonable. In general, every college in the United States receives federal aid in the form of loans, of federal loans. And so because of that, they are required to comply with the ADA Amendments Act and Section 504. So if there's ever a challenge with that, that is something that um, students can can resolve with with the schools. But we hope that that's never going to be the case, of course.
1: Could you explain uh, the difference between a modification and an accommodation? Uh, Sometimes those terms are used interchangeably, but I think it's important for some of our parents who don't have learning disabled students to understand the difference.
3: Yeah, so um, so a modification would really be a change to an assignment. Um, And a big part about higher education that folks sometimes forget is that faculty have autonomy right? That's a big part of of academic governance is that faculty are really the ones who are deciding what is and isn't part of their courses. Um, And so because of that, and also because again, going back to the idea that we're focusing on access rather than success, the assignments themselves are not changeable. They are not able to be modified. Some professors might say, I'm going to give an option of either a spoken assignment, a presentation, for example, a written assignment, a movie, like thinking about all different ways to play to students' strengths using universal design. I could wax poetic on universal design, but I think that's for another podcast.
1: It certainly is a whole different thing. <laughs>
3: I've
1: been there, and it yeah, yeah. scary, but it's yes. a whole different
3: ballgame. Yes. Absolutely. So there are some professors who are wonderful and accepting and inclusive, and they will design their curriculum in that way to allow different kinds of assessments. But for the most part, the assessment that is given by the professor is the assessment that a student must do, and there won't be any modifications offered to it. Whereas an accommodation allows it to be more accessible. A student has a longer period of time to complete an exam, or um, perhaps a student who has a medical condition where it's episodic in nature and there might be a flare-up, perhaps there would be accessibility and an accommodation to move the exam in the event of a flare-up. But changing the assignment, changing the way that a student is is showcasing their um, understanding of a concept is not going to be able to be changed.
1: Thank
2: you. You know, when, you, when you're in the college planning and consulting business, as we are and you are, uh, you have to work with parents. and um,
3: You get to work with
2: parents. <laughs> when you work with parents, uh, how, do you, how do you work with them? Is there more anxiety with the parents or with the student? Or how do you, how do you deal with the parents?
3: That's a great question. Um, there is, I think that anxiety is contagious. As, as oftentimes we see. And there are um, times when parents will have a lot of concern about the college process. It's changed a lot since they were in college, or maybe the student is first generation to college and the parent didn't attend, um, or maybe the parent attended a night program and the student is, atten- is hoping to attend a more traditional program. There's always going to be some concerns, even in highly educated families where college has been the expectation for generations. There's always going to be some concerns. Um, So first and foremost, I work to identify what those concerns are with the parents so that we can address them. Um, I also, as much as possible, try to shift the focus so that the parents are not the ones in the driver's seat and instead the students are. It's tricky um, because parents are they have been the ones to lead, to drive the car, to lead the train, what have you, for Mm -hmm. their child's existence. Um, And so it is, it can be a really challenging shift, especially for parents where their student has a diagnosis and they've really had to advocate for their student with their IEP or their 504 plan. And so that can be really challenging. So providing opportunities for education as much as possible, providing for opportunities for communication as much as possible. I work hard with my families to make sure that I am looping families in, parents in after each of our appointments with students so that, Um, Within reason, so if there are things that a student wants to keep confidential, I always say, as long as it doesn't relate to their safety, I'm happy to keep it confidential and not share it with a parent because I want them to be able to to share that information in their own time. Um, But I try to have open lines of communication whenever possible, talking about this is what we've covered. Here are some questions that came up. If you have any questions, please let me know. Um, because I think that that then leads to a much stronger dialogue and rapport that that I can build with families.
1: Right. It's important to keep that parental engagement without becoming overbearing, you know. Exactly.
2: So when it comes time to actually uh, choosing a college, which is, you know, the ultimate goal uh, for most counselors, uh, what are some of the programs that uh, parents and students should be aware of uh, when choosing a college?
3: It's a great question. Um, A big piece is really identifying and having the student, when possible, identify for themselves what has allowed them to be successful in their high school setting. So whether that means academic accommodations, whether that means clubs that they're a part of, whether that means um, tutoring opportunities that they have had, if they have been mentored or they have served as a mentor themselves, like thinking about the ways that students have become more successful and then giving students the time to build that into their college search. So for example, making sure that if a a family is visiting a college either in their initial research or later on after a student has been admitted to make sure that they're connecting with disability services, learning generally what's available, how accessible they are, how students are Um, able to request accommodations. Can those change over time? What are the policies in place? Um, Connecting with academic support. So whether that's tutoring or supplemental instruction, which is um, peer led study groups, or if that means that there's academic coaching, study strategies, workshops, all of those things, is that something that will be important for student success? What kind of academic advising or career support um, or um, counseling, are available to students. And then also thinking about their affinity groups. So if it's a student who identifies as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, if it's a student who identifies um, as BIPOC, like thinking about ways that they can really connect, find their, their community and feel that sense of belonging so that it's not simply, yep, they have my major, but instead, yeah, they have my major and also they have all of these other things that are going to make this feel like home. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, and it's hard to do because you know culture is so important when you're choosing a a college, and you know just because it was a good fit for your parents does not necessarily mean it's a good fit for you. And I think that's something that we all have to uh, kind of remember that as parents. Um, You deal with a ninth through twelfth graders, and um, how do you how do you address that um, parents should start helping their transition to that time, which is very difficult for all parents to transition to letting go, how should we prepare our students who have that added disability piece on them? Do you have any suggestions for that?
3: Absolutely. Um, The biggest piece is really self-advocacy and helping our students to create and build those skills for themselves. Um, Typically, in all high schools across the country, Students should be creating transition plans starting around sophomore year. We know that that doesn't always happen, but the goal is for it to happen. Um, and so that is a great opportunity for the lines of communication to be as open as possible, to think about what what is the student hoping to do after high school? Are they planning on a two year program, a four-year program? Are they hoping to go to med school or, or obtain a PhD later on? and thinking about what are the skills to get there eventually? That doesn't mean that a 14-year-old should be able to articulate how to apply to med school, <laughs> right? We know that. But um, but it's important to think about, okay, if I know that my eventual goal is to be a doctor, what are the different steps to get there? And how is my self-agency really a key part of doing that? Um, for students who are not that that knowledgeable about what they might want to do with their lives, that's okay. Obviously, you guys work in the career side of things as well. and know that we shift our focus a lot. Uh, It's kind of a moving target. Um, But really thinking about how to connect one's skills, one's strengths, one's weaknesses with how to talk with their teachers, Mm -hmm. how to say, I'm having a problem with this. Um, Self-advocacy can also mean something as seemingly small as I need to send an email to my teacher because I'm not sure if the test is tomorrow or next week and giving students those small opportunities for success and to be again in that driver's seat allows for those those opportunities to build and that momentum to build, which is really, really crucial to student success.
1: Mm-hmm. That's crucial for everybody. Yes.
3: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Those us haven't learned that yet. <laughs> what was your biggest challenge uh, when you uh, came into setting up your, your career in this counseling, um, you know, discipline, if you will?
3: Yeah, um, I think, It's a tricky question because I, where I always knew that I eventually wanted to do this, I think that it's the idea of having a right time and figuring out what that right time is because we all know that if you wait for all the stars to align and everything to be perfect, you're probably never going to do the thing that you want to. So I actually um, eventually launched during the pandemic. Um, and, you know, because they say, you know, pandemics and new businesses just are a match made in heaven. Um, so I think that's the old package. Um, and so I think that my biggest challenge was really identifying that there wasn't going to be a perfect time. There wasn't going to be a perfect time for my family, for me professionally. And so it was just a matter of, okay, let's let's get going. Um, and I'm really grateful that, that I did and that I've had a lot of support for that.
1: Excellent. What was your, as a teacher and a counselor, we all have those special moments that really tug at our heart and we remember, I mean, I've been teaching for over 30 years and there are certain people that you remember. What was one of the most rewarding moments that you had as a counselor?
3: That's a great question. Um, one of my, recent college consulting students actually um, really, I think falls neatly into this question because he was a student who was very ambivalent about going to college. He really wanted to be an airline pilot. He was very singularly focused on this goal and pretty convinced that even we did a lot of research, we contacted um, flight schools, and had many conversations with enrollment um, folks around this, and he felt really strongly that I, I don't need to go to college in order to be a pilot, I can, I can simply go to flight school and become a pilot. And it kind of came to a head when he, the student has some different um, learning difficulties and, and diagnoses. And to be a pilot, that actually is a rule out. Um, And so he was not eligible to be a professional pilot. And so he had to kind of come to terms with that and figure out, okay, so now what do we do? And along the way, we had been exploring different colleges, but I think that that gave him the added focus of, this is really important. I'm I'm gonna have to figure out a new plan. So we were able to work together to figure out that new plan um, to, support him with his applications and make sure that he was getting as much as possible out of his college visits. And um, he ended up, he's, he's just started his freshman year and um, is just off and running. So it, it was a turn for sure, um, but a really rewarding one um, because I, I think when we, when we work in college counseling, we don't necessarily realize that that ambivalence might be there. Um, and so working through that with him, I think was was especially helpful.
2: Well, that's, uh, <clears throat> that's a great story. And, um, you know, you, you love to hear those uh, success stories. But uh, before we close here today, I want to thank you, you know, for appearing with us and giving us all this great information that is going to be very useful to our mm-hmm. families who are in that situation of a special needs student. But before we close, um, what is the best way for someone to reach you if they want
3: to contact you. Sure. Thanks so much for asking. And thank you so much again for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to connect with you both um, and with your with your audience. Um, so my website is danarotheducationalconsulting.com. Um, and my email is danaroseroth, D-A-N-A-R-O-S-E-R-O-T-H at gmail.com. Um, and I would be thrilled to have the opportunity to connect with other folks.
1: And you do have a Facebook, is that correct, Dana?
3: I do, I do. Um, it's listed as Dana Roth Educational Consulting. I'm also on Instagram um, at Dana Roth Consulting. Um, and so I'm I'm happy to connect with people there too.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much, Dana. And thank you all uh, for coming in and, and joining us again for another great uh, podcast. We learn, Tom and I learn all the time. And that's Welcome. what... That's what keeps us going, and that's what keeps us uh, young, if you will, always growing. So I'm Maria Geffers. I'm Tom Geffers. And uh, we hope to see you again next week with uh, another expert in the field of career, college, and financial aid. Thank you again. Bye-bye.